Um, if you have your Bible, open them up to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Uh, we just finished last week with the book of 2 Thessalonians. And although we're not going to go through all 150 chapters of Psalms, uh, we do want to take uh, a brief summer look over them um, and study them. Uh, the book of Psalms is a collection of prayers, poems, laments, praises, songs, and hymns that focus one's thoughts on God's will and character. Uh, you do that as you worship the Lord. Um, there are 150 books or chapters in the book of Psalms, and they are very diverse, both because of the many authors of Psalms, but also because of the many diverse subjects that they touch. King David is listed as the author of 73 Psalms, while authors, other author, authors include his son Solomon, uh, one psalm written by Moses, uh, the family of Asaph, uh, the sons of uh, Quran, uh, priests of uh, Levite, and also many authors who was responsible for music and sanctuary worship during King David's reign and many unknown authors as well. Um, over the next few months... And this summer, uh, we will be studying a different genre of a psalm each Sunday in corporate worship. Uh, one will be a praise psalm, uh, one will be a, a precatory psalm, uh, a pilgrimage instructive psalm around family, uh, hymns celebrating God's law and hymns of thanksgiving, a royal psalm, and then we're actually going to study a few different psalms of lament, uh, one uh, that is specific with some foreshadowings of uh, the cruci crucifixion of Christ, and again, just a corporate lament psalm as well. This morning, we're going to be studying a wisdom psalm. And my largest hope and goal over this series is that the study and also singing of these psalms will lead to a few different things for both you personally, but for us as a corporate body, as a church family. First, my hope and prayer is that over this summer, as we study this, this book and some of these certain psalms, it will lead to continual growth, desire, and dependence on prayer. As you will see, the type of prayers that are prayed in these psalms, my prayer is that you will imitate such emotions, such responses to the Lord, both of praise but also of lament. That you will desire to be so honest and authentic as you read and study these psalms as some of these authors are in your own prayer life and that you will desire to come together more to communicate such important things to the Lord. For all the cravings of authenticity in the church, it's kind of trendy and many people want authenticity in the church, especially of the world. It, often churches find follow kind of trends and people and their authenticity per se, where we have an entire book that shows us a more true picture of that authenticity with the Lord. And I want to see and pray and hope that we see again that true authenticity, study, sing, and pray the Psalms in that way. Two, I hope that it will encourage us to sing more both psalms and other hymns and worship songs. The psalms are often called 
the songbook or soundtrack of the Bible. It's the only book of the Bible mostly made up of songs that God's people had sung in the past to memorize and teach truths of God and prayers to God. In fact, as a boy, Jesus would have memorized and sung these very psalms. No wonder that he would use them as often as he did, also knowing that so many of them as God's word and errant word are the foreshadowings of his gospel plan and the revealing of his salvation. And I'd be lying if I didn't share this with you, but the more I study the role of music and singing to the Lord and corporate worship in the church, the more I believe we have much to learn and we have much to grow as a church. And that's not me trying to make you raise up your hands and look more lively in church. But more than anything for us to all recognize how important song is in our lives and for the corporate worship gathering. As we learn the background of some of these psalms, how they were used both personally and in corporate worship, and like the hymns and songs of today, our voices raised and such truths knits our heart together in praise, recognizing how beautiful God is, and even at times lamenting of the things going on, but trusting in him. And that's done unified with one heart. Remember, God created music and song. The first instrument found was recorded over 40,000 years old. But that wasn't the first time a song was played. The originator of music's not Beethoven or the Beatles. It's the Lord. And he gives us that as a gift, again, to unite corporately to sing and remember certain truths. God created song and ultimately singing for him. Where it's important for both the church and as a witness of the world. And as a lot of these are songs, I pray that he teaches us some truths about that. Last of all, I pray and hope that as we study this book, It'll help us understand God's character. It'll help us follow his will. It'll help us behold his beauty. We must remember this book is the word of God. It's the top book quoted in the New Testament. It's, Christ, it's Christological and shows great, varying, appropriate human response to both the hardships of life, but also God's character. And reading and studying it will help us follow God today while beholding his beauty. And so with all that said, if you have your Bibles again, Psalm chapter 1. As we study the first psalm, the first of the 150 books and chapters, the psalm of all psalms for blessing and wisdom. As I mentioned, this is a wisdom psalm. It's kind of the ultimate wisdom psalm. The author is unknown, but most likely either David or his son Solomon. Although most times when David wrote his psalms, he did, he did uh, write down his name as the, the author of it. This one, again, is unknown, but most likely one of those two. And as it is a wisdom psalm, you will see that often wisdom reveals those who are righteous from those who are wicked. 
and I call it the ultimate wisdom psalm because as C.H. Spurgeon had said in his Treasury of David and about this psalm, he said this psalm may be regarded as the preface psalm having in it a notification of the contents of the entire book. It is the psalmist's desire to teach us the way to blessedness and to warn us of the sure destruction of sin. This then is the matter of the first psalm, which may be looked upon in some respects as the text upon which the whole of the psalms make up a divine sermon. The ultimate psalm. That means if this morning, this is your one and only time visiting here today, you got the whole series all in today. Now, if you're a regular attending, you have to keep on coming back, okay? That's only four people out of town that's coming in today. First, we see in the first two verses, again, as a wisdom psalm, how one is wise when you are blessed by the word of God over the ways of sinful man. Let's read the first, let's read the entire chapter in its entirety, and then we'll break it down verse by verse. Psalm chapter 1, starting off with verse 1, says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit and its season. And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Again, starting off with the first two verses, we see the wisdom that we are blessed ultimately by the word of God over the ways of sinful man. As it starts off in the very first verse, blessed is the man. And I'll pause and remind you, I think I've said this a few times before, I have often cringed at the use of the word blessed. I apologize for that. I just see so many superficial examples. Hashtag blessed on social media for a great food choice for their girlfriend or boyfriend. Even this past week when I was on my family vacation, we got into a conversation with a family by the pool. And this mom kept on talking about how blessed she is and the many blessings of her life. Um, and then a little bit later on, when my oldest daughter and uh, my youngest daughter was at the pool just alone with them, uh, they started talking about how they didn't believe in the Bible, how they never went to church. And uh, even the, 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 the mom was encouraging her two uh, grandkids, hey, listen, you don't need to listen to the Bible. It's made up stories by men. There can be some good things in it, but it's very controversial. Which my seven-year-old daughter then whispered to my 13-year-old daughter saying, they must be talking about the talking donkeys. Okay, that's what she had said. There's much more controversy than that one, as my youngest will soon find out. And I couldn't but help to when they ran back kind of to the ocean where the rest of the family was and started telling us about this. Couldn't but help to think, wasn't that the same family that was just telling us 
about all the blessings in their life from the Lord. I mean, specific words and words and use. Again, I just, it is so superficial on the way that is used. And at the same time, I'm convicted of that judgment that I have for it because it is used throughout scripture. As it says right here, blessed. Which, again, biblical term is under the favor of God, confidently affirmed as a recipient of true life, joy, peace, and delight. I'll say that definition again. To be blessed is be under the favor of the Lord. To confidently affirm as a recipient of life, true life, joy, peace, and delight. That we are to pursue that type of blessing. Praise God, thank Him for it, in spite of the cringe use around us. And we are to, and not feel bad about it, desire and seek the Lord's blessing. As it starts off again, blessed is the man. And you must remember that Jesus' only recorded sermon starts just like this psalm of all psalms, using this word. Where in Jesus' one and only recorded sermon in the Beatitudes, he gives eight blessings and then a reminder of mission and witness. Let's read Jesus' recorded sermon, the Beatitudes, real quick and see how common this word is and important it is as he used it. And as many commentaries would even say, this was intentional knowing what Psalm 1 says. It says in Matthew 5, starting off with verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he, talking about Jesus, sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Remember, under the favor of God are those who will mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. A word that's repeated a few times in Psalm 1, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Eight different blessings. And then, as I had mentioned, he gives a reminder of our mission and witness. When he says, verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they... For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's extended from verse 11. And then verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And we'll come back to that last part 
later on in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who, it says, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He starts off by telling us where and how we will not be blessed before talking about where blessings do come from. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. We will not have the favor of the Lord. We will not be able to have and seek true life and true joy and peace and delight when we are taking the counsel of life from those who either do not know the Lord or who are following the opposite of the Lord in sin. We're here to take wise or godly counsel. I find myself often telling my oldest teenage daughter how important it is to have friends that don't know Christ as God wants to use you, again, as that salt, as that light, but to not take the counsel and wisdom from some of those friends that do not know Christ. And how important it is, as verse 2 points to, trust in God's word and those who's going to point you to God's word. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. This is a community of those pursuing sin. And as it says, in the way, like our walk in the way, except for we also stand for things. In fact, that word stand right here, it suggests something more settled than the word walking that precedes it. As when someone stands for something, where do you stand on this issue, on this value? And in our walk of this way in life, we all have to make certain stands and important choices concerning what we believe, what we will do, who we will be, how we will treat others. And as this, as this says here, nor stands in the way of sinners. Therefore, in this particular verse, it says a blessing comes to the one who deliberately and intentionally does not stand with sin, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And notice the progression here. First, it starts with walk in the counsel of wicked, then stand in the way of sinners a little bit deeper than just walk of life as you're standing for something and now sit with scoffers and mockers of God. Now you're sitting with and in community of not only sin, but those who openly mock the Lord. Blasphemy and a mockery of God should go against our conscience. And listen, this is coming from one who probably finds a little too much delight in making fun of Christian subculture. Okay? I'm going to be honest. It's very easy for me, and maybe even the flesh at times, to find a little bit of satisfaction and delight in making fun of very cheesy Christian movies, cheesy Christian music, cheesy Christian t-shirts that was all the rage when I got saved as a teenager in youth group. It was like, you want to be a true Christian, wear this shirt, all right? 
and it would be like, you know, like whatever was popular at the time, like Abercrombie and Fitch and a breadcrumb and a fish and Jesus, you know, all those things. I mean, I still to this day, I like making fun of it, okay? Um, and, 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 and even knowing that and, and, and finding uh, a little bit of freedom, I think, in that being okay, I know there's a difference in conscience and conviction of those who are openly mocking the Lord. And again, it, it escalates, progresses to all of a sudden you are in the midst and sitting within a community that mocks God that should be grating you even if it is relationships and endurance and mission. And so where do you go to be blessed? To what God says and in his presence in his word. Look what it says in verse 2. But, that means it's still under the man or the one who is blessed. But his delight is in the law of the Lord And on his law, he meditates day and night. Instead of walking with sinners, standing for sin, and sitting in the presence of those who mock the Lord, instead of the community of sinners' words and ways, we are to be blessed by going to God's words and ways. It's interesting that this is mentioned instead of and even before God's community. It talks the whole time of the people part, but it doesn't directly tell us to go to the people. Instead, it says go to God's word. Now, God's people is important. We actually learn that from Psalm 1 a little bit later here. But in the very first two verses, it doesn't say, hey, look at all this community, the group and people that's going to take away the favor of the Lord, but go to God himself. Go to his word. At the time this was written, it would have been speaking about the Torah and the law. The Torah was the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Within it was the law, which reveals what regulated almost every aspect of life for God's people at that time. It revealed how they should live in consecration to God's holiness, his standard of holiness, And so in context here, this is what they were to, again, go to, to be blessed, to meditate on, to delight in, to obey. What gave them life, even though it revealed and showed how much they could not measure up to the Lord and his holiness, but still a picture of who God is in comparison to us and our sin in comparison to the world's way and wisdom. Of course, when we say and believe the law of the Lord now, this includes what is being written here, the Psalms, later Old Testament prophets, and then the finished and fulfilled New Testament, the Bible as a whole, that we are to find delight and joy in God's word, Again, that there is certain favor upon the one who does find that delight and joy in it. It says specifically the word we are to meditate on it. We are to think deeply about it, to truly focus on it. 
that we are to read the word, be under the preaching of the word. We are to pray the word. We are to sing the word. We even, in corporate worship, get to see the word and the ordinances of baptism and Lord's Supper. That we are to do this personally, not just in corporate worship and the church body, but personally, as it says, day and night. John Chrysostom, the bishop of Constantinople in late 300 AD, ordered this in all of his monasteries. That they were to start off the day and close at night. Each elder, future pastor, and the growing early church and the book of Psalms. We are to do this on our own. How God continues to speak to us in his revelation with the reminder that all of scripture points us to Jesus. In fact, C.S. Lewis once said, we come to scripture not to learn a subject, but to steep ourselves in a person. And that person is Jesus. In fact, in what I had just read with the Beatitudes, look what it says right after what I had read. Verses 17 and 18, Matthew 5. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. It all points to him. Verse 3, we see then the blessings of God's word in his way. That our, if we are to take delight in his word and meditate it on day and night, part of the blessings of it is, look at verse 3, he would then be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. Look at what God's word does here. It provides stability and it bears fruit. It provides stability and it's going to bless others in the fruit that it gives. When reading this verse and hearing the illustration or the metaphor and example of a tree, I couldn't but help to think about my 2008 trip, an only trip to California where I was able to see some redwoods. Those trees can live for more than 2,000 years. They stand more than 300 feet tall. Their tall roots are intertwined within each other. It's quite a sight to see, as you can even see in this small picture right here, the comparison to little ant people and their small vehicles. You can't but help to think when you see them how indestructible they seem to be. You cannot easily destroy them. Even large forest fires that California is known for have the toughest times when it comes to redwoods. Water, which is God's word, that provides that life and helps grow its fruit. And remember, its fruit is not necessarily for itself, but it's for others. 
Thus, when the faithful prospers, it is not for just themselves. It's not the prospering and material, but in bringing benefit and blessings also to others. This means that his word is sufficient for everything from lack of community to loneliness and temptation. But it's not only sufficient, it says here that we are to prosper. That prosperity is different from heretical prosperity gospel teachers, but it is when we are made rich in his spiritual treasures. We start thinking the way he does, following his way and will, and again, pointing us to the gospel of Jesus. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 paints a beautiful picture of those who are blessed by the Lord. But with that blessing, it does come with a warning in verses 4 through 6. In fact, this is the same warning that we read about in 2 Thessalonians. It's the warnings of the way of sin and wickedness. If we are to prosper, if we are to be able to find and follow the way of the Lord we created us for and with, pointing us to Jesus and the gospel, what he gives us in that, we also going back to the ways of sin, man, and wickedness have warning. Verse 4, it says, The wicked are not so, but are like chafe that the wind drives away. The wicked are not so means that they will not last or prosper like those who are blessed by God following his word in ways made possible by the gospel of Jesus. But instead, what is like separated from the wheat, what will just be blown by the wind, a common biblical picture and metaphor where this city boy is always asking, why does it have to be agriculture? Why can't you do something that's going to be a little bit more of what I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio? So I'm constantly asking my wife who grew up on the farm, owns a farm in Russell County, asking her father and the relatives about what this looks like. How there is no stability here like the tree that is used in verse 3, that's purpose and use for the benefit of others like the wheat, but instead just the shell that just gets tossed and thrown in the wind. It's fickle, similar to sin, living in and for sin. It's temporary, and it does not last. Verse 5, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Verse 5, this shows that there is a judgment and assembly in which those who are wicked and not following God will not belong. This congregation or assembly stands for the church in which the righteous, those described in verses 1 through 3, have a home to grow and a purpose and mission from God. Where those in sin are wicked because of that sin, will not pass God's judgment, will not have a home with those who are righteous, and it's interesting here as it uses this terminology, the congregation of the righteous. Because this is the gathering in the church. 
and for us, this is a reminder of the importance of the church, both in witness, but then also in membership, in, in baptism. Again, I was reminded a lot about this with some of my vacation reading, both baptism and membership, how it separates and shows the world the witness of God and what he can give and does through Jesus. How God gives that to draw others to him and how he shows in his word how theirs is one of a family and there's an organized structure to help do this. That the church, as a reminder, the church and the family is the only organized structures and system that God originally created and gave to reveal himself in. And yes, sadly, sin still creeps in and hurts those structures. But we're not to give up on them. As it even says again in Psalm 1 right here, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. I can't but help to think this is why Jesus gave that reminder of the salt and the light as the importance of witness and the way he did in the Beatitudes. And church, I'll be the first to admit, I know that the church does not look all that righteous many times. And when it doesn't, we call it out. We focus on what we can do here as a body and we follow Jesus. But there is a great beauty in what is referred to here, a congregation of the righteous. And the world will want it when they are hurt from following sin. And remember this righteousness that is used here. It doesn't come from anything we can do, but only from what God's word reveals and gives to us to receive the gospel of Jesus. Here's the way of the righteousness that the Lord knows in contrast to the way of the wicked. It says verse 16 of Romans 1, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Verse 18, even a similar warning that Psalm 1 gives, but where it is revealed in the two verses before, we only receive that righteousness through Jesus Christ and saving faith in him. We can only receive such righteousness through faith in the gospel of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Christ, his son, perfect God, man, to be sin when he knew no sin. He was the perfect man, God, lived a perfect life to be that perfect sacrifice in fulfillment of the temporary atoning sacrifices for sin in the Old Testament. And he did that by dying on the cross, 
taking our sins upon himself so that when he rose from the grave, proving he defeated sin and its ultimate consequence, death, giving us his same new life and as described here, righteousness in place of that sin that we would follow, leaving us hurt, living for temporary things that just blow off in the wind. And we receive that by repenting of our sin and sinful life and having saving faith in Jesus Christ. Admitting that sin and turning from it and turning to Jesus and what he did on that cross, taking our place and what he accomplished in the resurrection, proving he was God, giving us salvation, righteousness, and eternal life. That's why in conclusion, as verse 6 says, only the Lord knows and gives the way of the righteous and the wicked. The ultimate psalm, wisdom psalm, repeated in Romans, repeated in 2 Thessalonians, repeated all through Scripture, so we had said, there's two ways. Yes, there's many gray in this life, but there's two ways when it comes to eternity and how our sin is dealt with. Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God knows those who is righteous because of his son, Jesus, and those who are wicked because of their sin. One will perish one will last for eternity. And out of his great grace, out of his great love, he offers that better way of righteousness when one, and anyone can do this, receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Let me remind you, this psalm is said to be the sum of all 150 psalms. Righteousness from God pitted against sin from man. Sin we're both born in and choose. I ask, which are you? What's the wisdom you should follow in light of asking yourself that and knowing that answer in your heart of hearts? And as verse 6 says, the Lord knows. He knows. And he may be revealing himself to you. To follow the way of his words right now over the ways of selfishness and man and sin that will not last here on this earth and especially for eternity. And therefore he says, come. Your burden may be heavy because of that sin. But I want to take that off of you. And I did that already for over 2,000 years ago I died for that sin on the cross I rose from the grave and I offer out of my grace and love for you new life freedom from sin forgiveness if you would just turn and repent of that sin and have saving faith in me and receive me is that Lord and Savior.
I want to allow a few moments, again, a prayer with you and for you to spend some time with the Lord in response of what he is saying to you today. I might be here as a believer, as a reminder of the two different ways. What's the wise one you're living for? Are you spending time in his word, meditating on it, delighting in it? For others asking, do you know Christ the Savior? Or are you stuck in that sin? And is he speaking to you today, saying, come to me? Again, spending time with him. For it's not a certain prayer to pray that all of a sudden makes you saved, but it's your heart becoming anew by giving it to the Lord, admitting and confessing you're a sinner, turning from that, and having saving faith in Christ. Whatever he's revealing, make such covenants, commitments, and requests to him. And I'll close in prayer before we sing about our righteousness in Christ. Go ahead and spend some time with the Lord, and I'll pray. Heavenly Father, as the one who gives wisdom on this earth, we know see ultimate wisdom and following your word and your ways over the sin that leaves us spiritually dry, empty, and hurt. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word that as it says, we are to delight and meditate on for what it reveals even this morning of the importance of following you and listening to you and obeying you in it. Where we know the counsel from the world will not last. Where we know we are to stand for what is right and that our conscience should be graded in the seat of scoffers, but where we find delight and joy and truth in you and what it reveals in your son, the fulfillment of all scripture, what true blessing is. And Lord, how that tree that extends its branches and gives fruit is to bless others. That when we are that salt, that light, that witness of your righteousness and what we receive in Christ, we are to bless and be able to give that to others. 
family members, co-workers, classmates, neighbors, and friends that have been hurt and left dry by this world and following the ways of it and need you. I pray, Lord, that you use us as those trees in those ways. Knowing that your son is that cornerstone, that stability. We thank you, Lord, again for your word. And we pray and we sing to you right now in your name, Jesus.